When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. This week I sit down with Ken Doherty, 20 years on now since he became world champion in 1997. Ken's one of the great gentlemen, one of the great ambassadors of snooker. He's had a great career, but of course he is forever remembered for beating Stephen Hendry 18-12 in that final. So that uh, fills up most of our chat. As is traditional on this podcast, it's almost my trademark. There's a hell of a row going on in the background because we were sat in a hotel during the Masters uh, down at breakfast and they were cleaning and hoovering and and clearing the plates and all that. So there's a bit of background noise. I like to think that adds uh, to the ambience. Ken's a great guy and I hope you enjoy our chat. Well, Ken, it doesn't feel like 20 years to me since you won it. What about you? Does it, is it, does it feel like 20 years? No, it doesn't at all. Uh, the time goes so quick, you know. When I look back and I, I see some of the, uh, the images of that time, uh, it seems like, you know, it just seems like yesterday at times, you know, because you relive the moments. It's amazing. Uh, I know, like, for the other guys, they have so many moments. But, like, for me, like, it was only my one moment of winning the World Championship, so... Uh, you relive a lot of those memories quite a lot like through even through those 20 years you know when it doesn't it doesn't seem like it at all because time has gone so quick you know how often do you think about it I mean does it sort of, sort of occur to you like, on a sort of Tuesday afternoon somewhere oh yeah I wonder, yeah, I wonder yeah, what yeah. Super no, well I mean it sort of it bleeds in and out I mean people will stop you and talk to you and, and say you know or whatever uh, people might bring up a memory uh, people might tell me where they were or who they were watching it with or they were watching it with their grand or their father or their mother you know uh, they were watching it in Germany they were watching it in Australia they were watching it in America or whatever it might have been you know uh, and then also your memories yeah I mean like even in my snooker room because I have a few of the pictures up on the wall memories of like any time I played snooker so and you can imagine there's a few of them with the World Championship in there as well, you know. I think, not only win that, but I think the the time of uh, coming back with the trophy, you know, through the streets of Dublin and an open-top bus, I mean, uh, there's not many, you know, people would have experienced that. And I think for, like, a day out and my family and friends and stuff like that, that was just as, as, as a buzz as actually winning it, you know. And uh, the places where I would have taken it, you know, to Lansdowne Road for 
a World Cup qualifier going out in the middle of the pitch and the reception I got like a, it was like a Mexican wave going around yeah. the whole pitch and that was 50,000 50, people there but it was like a Mexican wave I mean, and like that one going out with Old Trafford and going out into the middle of Pro Park uh, where they were playing like a, a Leinster final Dublin against me you know full, full of Dub supporters and main supporters and, and that was like they're, they're moments that you just can't replicate you know? it's okay. fantastic okay, well, we'll come back to the actual the, the tournament itself uh, in yeah. due course but what, let's go back right back to the start so where did snooker sort of start to you how did it come to your life uh, uh, I used to watch I used to watch uh, Pop Black I started, the first time I ever saw snooker on TV was on Pop Black and I can't remember whether it was a Thursday night I was allowed to stay up to watch it with my dad uh, he used to love Ray Reardon uh, and when I saw Alex Higgins play on there uh, I was just I was hooked you know I wanted a little table from Santa and I got one on my 8th birthday on my 8th uh, Christmas and um, from then on like there was a couple of snooker clubs in the area as well which helped uh, and there was one uh, you know it was like it used to be only 20p an hour like you know for a full size game it's incredible really when you think about it you know uh, and uh, there was the pool table in Jason's they only had one snooker table there at the time and I was only allowed into Jason's really on a Sunday you know with my brother uh, until I got, got a little bit older so that's how it would have all started you know you used to stand on a biscuit tin to play I did yeah because yeah. I, I couldn't reach the full size <laughs> table so they had a biscuit tin for me to play uh, snooker or to play the table football the football you know which I love playing as well Space Invaders stuff like that but yeah I used to kick the biscuits in around as old like Jacob's biscuit tins and, and play on the full size table because I couldn't I couldn't reach it you know it was quite yeah it was quite funny you know well, lots of kids like your age at that time in, in Britain and Ireland would play snooker like something fun to do but yeah there must have come a point where you realised actually you could you could play the game or you, or you maybe you were improving oh yeah absolutely I mean when I started it I mean the thing about the snooker was for me that I was playing these older guys, you know, who'd been playing it for a long time, but I was able to beat them, you know, and then we used to have a little, in Jason's, they used to have a little, like, Saturday handicap tournament, uh, so you'd be, you might be given some girls, like, 70 start, or 80 start, or 100 start, and you'd be giving some of the other lads, like, like, 10 start, I know they might be giving you, like, the better ones might be giving you, but, like, uh, I was predominantly, when I was about 13 then, I was predominantly winning these little handicaps. It was only like five pounds in maybe, you know, and winner might have got 30 pounds. But for a kid of 12 or 13, uh, that was quite, quite a lot of money, you know. And it was quite a good income for me every Saturday. And I was playing football at the time as well. I was captain of the football team. And, uh, they were hard to juggle, but I just, I just got such a buzz out of it, beating the older people as well, you know. And what did your mother make of you spending so much time in a snooker? She didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like it at all. I mean, I used to, I'd get the bus home from school, uh, I'd pass by the house and I'd go straight into the same club, the bag would go under the table, uh, and what I used to do, I used to, uh, like, empty the ashtray, sweep the floor, and I'd get a free, like, hour of snooker, you know? Uh, and then my mother would have to come around to tell me that my dinner was on the table and that, and that wouldn't be till about 6 o'clock so I had a couple of hours in there every day almost you know? uh, but she didn't like it now uh, in fact she came around one time with, a, with her wooden spoon and waved it in front of the, uh, the manager and said if he fails his exam so I'm going to hold you responsible you know what I mean so that was quite funny so you improve as a junior and eventually of course you have a great amateur career you win the, the world under 21 and the world amateur championship yeah, yeah, yeah. so at that point you must have thought right I'm heading for the professional yeah, yeah. I mean the funny thing about the world under 21 championship in Reykjavik 
I had moved over to England uh, and got two pennies to rub together. I couldn't actually afford to go to the uh, I didn't have the money. And when I was down playing in one of the, the pro tournament qualifiers down in the Isle of Wight, some guy had told me about the, the World Under-21s, which was taking place in, in a couple of weeks' time. And I says, he says to me, Wait, are, you, are you going? I says, no, no. I said, good before go there. You know? And he, he said, well, I'll pay for your, you know, I'll pay for your uh, flight and, that, and your hotel. I said, okay. And <laughs> <laughs> I duly yeah. went. And uh, I ended up uh, beating Jason Ferguson, our chairman, in the, in the final. And... Uh, he just wanted it. He said he wanted to lend the trophy for a little while. I got the cup. He got the trophy. I never saw the trophy again. No, never saw him for quite a long time after that. But it didn't matter. I, I had a, a free trip to Reykjavik and won with the World Under 21. So it was well worth going, you know. Mm-hmm. Then of course win the World Amateur for uh, Ireland over in uh, Singapore in 1989. That gave me basically my ticket to uh, to turn professional. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then I thought, you know. They were good springboards because we good like to go through that sort of amateur, amateur those amateur days. You know, with lots of experience playing all the top amateurs from around both in the UK and around the world. And uh, I was coming into the pro game with a sort of a name and, a, yeah. and confidence. You know, yeah, what yeah. I mean, not just a, just another just another pro like basically. You know, I think it was an interesting time for you to turn pro because all the sort of players who had inspired the boom were starting to decline you know the sort of yes. Alex and Ray Reed and Cliff Thorpe and Dennis and these players were starting to decline and there was a very healthy amateur scene so a lot of you guys like Peter Ebden and Alan McManus and mm. so forth but you came through in a bit of a rush didn't you and you must have been confident that you could you could do do something yeah but I, I got off to a really bad start in the qualifiers uh, and I lost my first couple of matches and sort of knocked me back a little bit knocked the confidence out of me because I was I was coming there with a bit of a reputation, but uh, it wasn't working out like that. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I played Terry Griffiths. He just reminded me of it actually just this week at the Masters that uh, he had two draws at, at, at that, that year in September. Um, I was one of them, and John Birch was the other one. And um, they, we were sort of two of the top younger of the younger guys just coming through. Uh, and I managed to beat Terry, and that was probably the best result that I had in the qualifiers. I got to the last. 16 I think of that European Open uh, and it gave me a few points and not like gave me a good boost up the up the rankings but uh, other than that I'd sort of got off to a bad start and I was a little bit nervous and got a bit more apprehensive but when I beat him I got a bit more confidence and started to get a few results then you know but it was it was great playing those guys mm. because I played Alex Higgins in a qualifier mm. for the UK Championship he beat me like down at Stoke and Trent played, he played really well uh, and I would have played Griffiths and played Jimmy White and, you know so I was playing uh, a lot of the, the, those top players at the time like, but, but they were on the way on the way you know mm. and eventually well I say eventually it didn't take long you won your first uh, ranking title in Wales mm. uh, and I guess that sort of proved to yourself and everyone else in the game that this is Great amateur is not just a great amateur; he's turned into a great pro as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it took me what did it take? Nineteen ninety-three. That was. So it took me a few years, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. I mean, to beat Alan McManus, ten-nine it was. Or nine-nine-nine-seven nine, there. I beat ten-nine in Scotland in the, in the Masters up there. But uh, yeah, to win your first ranking tournament, just remember sitting in the hotel afterwards, you know, uh, with the trophy, and it was just myself, Bill King, and uh, Pat Caulfield who come over from Dublin, and. Uh, we just sat there and looking at the trophy and just reminiscing <laughs> over the final and it was just it was really wonderful I mean it was only three of us it wasn't a big party or anything <laughs> like that 
uh, it was a very, very quiet night. But it was a very special night, like mm. you know. Yeah, you never forget winning your first one, you know. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to 1997 then. So mm. at this point, Stephen Hendry hasn't lost at the Crucible yeah. since 1991 when Steve Jones beat him. He's favourite again. You're in that group of players who. It's sort of bubbling under, you're, you're one of the top yeah. seeds, but probably you wouldn't necessarily be tipped by that many people. No. Let's just go right to the start. So the first round you played Mark Davis, actually quite a close match, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very close match, and I had a, a, like a really bad sort of run into the World Championship. I lost to Steve Davis at the Masters quite heavily. Yeah. I lost to him in my own backyard at the Irish Masters quite heavily. Uh, I lost to Michael George in the British Open a couple of weeks before the, the World Championship. Uh, so my form was terrible, and I was really sort of using like the first match against Mark Davis as that was basically a big final for me, a big match for me because it sort of guaranteed that I'd be in the top sixteen if I if I won it. And so there was a lot of pressure on that, and I, it was a very tough match. Mm. I won ten eight in the end. Mm. Uh, but the good thing about that, even though it was a great test, great match, and after I'd won it, I'd sort of, it sort of released a lot of pressure and a lot of tension. And uh, that's the so thing it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me, really, yeah, yeah. you know, for the World Championship that I had such a tough first round match. Mm. That's the thing, I think, with the Crucible. You know, it's all about the first round, isn't it? Yeah, Once yeah. you get that out of the way, you can start to maybe think, okay, how far can I go? But everyone, the seeded players, are under pressure just to yeah, win yeah, that yeah. first game. Yeah, they are. There is a lot. There was, there was even more pressure on them in those days. Uh, you know, because the, because of the ranking system, uh, but it was a huge match for me. Mm. Uh, and uh, Mark Davis, I mean, he's still knocking around and still doing pretty well, but uh, he was uh, just as tough then as he as he is now. And it, well, it, I was just delighted to get over the first mm. round. And, and as a, as I said, there's a weight lifted off your shoulders, and mm. and I played with such freedom after that. And I put it down to just getting over that first match and releasing the shackles as it, as it were, you know, because uh, the next match, of course, was Steve Davis. Yeah, who had just won the Masters. I mean, you yeah. people forget people think, oh, he was in decline. He just won the Masters. He beat you there. So yeah. it, it wasn't a sort of formality, was it? No, he beat me there and he beat uh, O'Sullivan in the final, you know, from 8-4 down, I yeah, think yeah. he was, yeah. you know, and he was... Uh, he won it when he was in his 40s, was he 40? Just, so? just about to turn 40. Yeah, just about to turn 40. It was an incredible uh, mm. victory for him. So, now he was playing really well. He gave me two tournaments, six, I think 6-1, six 6-0 six mm. or something like that. And those two masters, the Irish and, and the English. And uh, But I played so well against him. I mean, I beat him with a session of spare, which mm. has never happened to Steve Davis at the Crucible. I think I'm the only one to have done that. Mm. Uh, and uh, I was the first session, I was 6-2 up. Uh, the second session he came out for it and won the first round and gave it all the fists like, you know what I mean like he, he was like he, you know what I mean sort of he was sort of it was like a psychological bit of warfare going on but he gave it the fist came back into his chair as he does real briskly you know and sit, props himself up like like King Arthur and uh, so I said to myself right you want to play that game I'm, I'm your man <laughs> that really got me going you know and uh, he never won another frame after that you know and uh, I was uh, I was absolutely buzzing mm. absolutely buzzing yeah and then I guess the, the sort of in terms of people looking at you as a likely winner to beat John Higgins who by then had become you know very much a regular winner of tournaments and people were looking at him maybe the heir to Hendry yeah. to beat him in the quarterfinals again it must have given you a lot of confidence it also said to everyone else actually you know he, this is a guy who could win this yeah absolutely well yeah I mean when you get to the quarterfinals you're still not even halfway there you know um, so I wasn't counting any chicken I was just delighted to be playing well you know and when when you've been through the doldrums and then all of a sudden something clicks and uh, that's all that happened there it's just something clicked you know and uh, 
So I wouldn't. I wasn't as fearful as I might have been going into that match, but I knew I was going to be up against it because John had been playing really well. Uh, he'd been getting a lot of good results, and uh, you know he was he was one of the. He probably. I don't know what he, he probably he would have been in the top four favourites to win that title from from there on. I mean, uh, when you look at who else would have been left in in the tournament, uh, he might have been even second favourite. You know, so uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I had the greatest respect and still have the greatest respect. He was one of the best players that I've ever played, uh, I've ever seen play. One of the toughest match players that I've ever played, and uh, we had a really tough battle. I think I ran out thirteen nine in the end. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a it was a great match. Mm. And then I guess it's slightly different than the semis because you would have been quite a heavy favourite to beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you still got to beat him. Yeah, and the roles were reversed, you know. And I didn't get off to a good start. I mean, it was five three up, I think, after the first session. But uh, it was a bit rocky earlier on, you know, because we're the, the thing about it was because when you're down in the quarterfinals, you've got two tables set up. When you get into the semis, then you're in the one table yeah. set up, and it's such a big difference, you know. And the boat was took us a couple of frames to get used to it and the boat was sort of nervous starting off uh, because it's such a longer distance to travel and, and it's it's like uh, you know the whole focus is, and the attention is on you it's yeah. completely different yeah. but what a what a buzz mm. what an atmosphere uh, it was electric and uh, in a way it was great that I was playing someone just as green as I was because it was his first time being in the semi-final uh, and uh, after the first session then I sort of I played much better and uh, I was 5-3 up but I just ran out really you know scored a lot heavier than he did he's a very good match player Alain Robbie did top 16 player but uh, he wouldn't have scored as heavy uh, and I knew that once I got my scoring boots on then that I'd be able to uh, it's the great thing about the World Championship we've got so many frames to you know really like it's four sessions it's like four matches yeah. basically you know yeah so and you only have to beat them basically three times so uh, yeah I played much better I think it was 17-7 was it in the, in the end so it was a great resounding victory and uh, again like you know each, it was like a step on the ladder like and uh, all of a sudden I'm in the final and, uh, and I'm playing uh, the old golden bear the King of the Crucible yeah, Steve yeah. Andrews hadn't lost there for, for six years um, but it's a little bit different people talk about you know maybe Joe Johnson winning it but Joe had never won a tournament you were a tournament winner yeah. so you had a pedigree yeah. but of course Henry was the king of the cruise mm. so how did you feel going into it? Um, to be honest I was relishing it uh, I'd beaten Stephen a few times in my career up to that you know so I wasn't really afraid of him and I'd beaten you know in, uh, in finals and stuff like that you know I'd beaten him up in the Masters up in, up in Scotland I'd beaten them elsewhere around the world, so I wasn't I wasn't as intimidated as as I might have been, you know. Uh, but I knew, of course, the record was. I mean, I was thirty threes or forty to one at the beginning of the tournament, you know. I still might have been three or four to one to beat Stephen Hendry in the final that time uh, because of his impeccable record. I mean, he was gone for six in a row, so uh, yeah. I mean, but but I was. For some reason, I just felt relaxed. I, I had, I used to, when I was used to go back to the hotel, like in the night time, I used to see myself lifting the trophy, you know? I used to sort of visualize yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And it sort of, it gave me a calmness, you know? I could just see it, I, I could see it, I could dream, I dreamt it from the time I was a kid, you know? And uh, I could see it, and 
and whatever whatever it was, I wish I had a bottle there, you know, yeah. but uh, whatever it was, but I, it gave me calmness, you know, mm. and uh, and it gave me a calm. And of course, winning the few matches that I had done in the championship made me feel good as well. Mm. So I wasn't I wasn't as phased as, as I might have been. Uh, I was going to say, you talk about calmness. I think a lot of people would be interested. Like, how do you sleep the night before the World Final? How do you sleep in the night between the two days? I mean, did yeah. you were you were, you, were you nervous? It sounds oh, like I was. Well, I was. I was. Uh, I was excited more yeah. than nervous. You yeah. know, I really was excited. I couldn't wait. Couldn't wait to get out there because this is what this is what I grew up watching. You know, every year yeah. Higgins win at ninety two, yeah. Dennis win at ninety five. You know, all the time Jimmy got so close. Mm. Uh, the one four sevens of the crucible and stuff like that. These are the moments that I I loved watching, you know. And these were these moments were my inspiration, and uh, I was just going to go out there and enjoy it. And just said, look, don't be afraid of him, you know. Play your own game. Uh, he doesn't like real playing match players, you know what I mean. Uh, he gets impatient. Uh, if you get on top of him, just like. You know, draw him in, like you know, and, and that's exactly what I did. I mean, he started off with three centuries in the first <laughs> session, but was still five three down. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, I, I had the perfect game plan for Henry uh, because it worked before, and uh, and it, he got more frustrated as the game went on. You know, and he played a lot of shots that you you wouldn't you could see it was sort of getting to him. It was irritating him, you know, and. Uh, uh, I, I was uh, really enjoying it and I was like interacting with the crowd and it wasn't really you know it was showing that this I'm not nervous here you know and it was it was like a psychological war going on as well which does happen in snooker I mean you know it's 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 a very psychological game and you have to give up as best body language as you can and not feel nervous and not feel intimidated and I wasn't and uh I was loving it, and I think that that's what helped me a lot. Yeah. But so we go to the end of the match. You win eighteen twelve, which sounds comfortable, but you still got to finish it off. Were, yeah, yeah. were the nerves there, or did you actually? The, nerve, the nerves really kicked in from. I mean, I was fifteen seven up, mm. uh, and Stephen won the last two frames of the session to go fifteen nine, and then he rattled up three frames. One coming from I made a sixty yard break. He, he ended up winning it to go. That was to go fifteen twelve. That's when I got really nervous. Because he'd made comebacks before. Yeah, yeah, he'd yeah, made yeah, comebacks yeah. before. He made a comeback, of course, against Hallett and, and comebacks against Jimmy White that were well documented. Once I sat and watched, like, <laughs> glued to the television saying, he's screaming at it, no, no. And I could feel myself in that position. I was saying, please, no, not now, not now. Not at this, not at this time. Just hold yourself together. And he missed one red at 15-12. I was supporting the other head. Uh, and he missed one red... He, got, he was on a break, you know, and uh, he missed one red down along the back, uh, behind, behind the black, just trying to roll it in for the black. There was one, there was two reds left, and uh, it stayed in the pocket, you know. And all I had to do was put the red, the black, and the red, I think. And, and I was 16, 12, and uh, I couldn't believe he missed it. You know, it was it wasn't it was never a gimme, but you'd expect him to get it because he was on such a roll. Well, I jumped down my chair. I was like a greyhound to the table to put the put the red, put the black. And it sort of bridged that gap when we were going into a mid-session interval, yeah. uh, and I was just so relieved, you know. And that was the turning point. Mm-hmm. But I was I was as nervous as a kitten up to that point. Uh, but once I got that frame, got the 16-12, the nerves went, you know. And uh, you know, I came out won the next frame, 17-12. I'm only one away, and uh, it was a close last frame. I, I played a snooker on the last red, and ended up clearing from red up to uh, up to black. But uh, yeah, the last few pots I was like, it was just like the nerves, the uh, 
the hairs of the back of the neck standing up, you know, the goosebumps, like, couldn't wait to finish it, you know, to get my hands on that trophy, lift it up, get a big kiss, yeah, like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was quite funny, because Tommy Drago was sitting in the press box, and when I popped the, the brown, I came around, walked around the table, I saw him, he clapping like a seal in the press box, <laughs> a big smile on his face, and then uh, I just broke out into a smile, popped mm. the ping, waved up to me, and went over and gave a... Uh, Stephen had shaken the hands and a hug, although he wasn't very reciprocal. <laughs> it was one of those cold, cold yes. hugs. Yes. But uh, because we did get on anyway, you know what I mean. But like when you're when you're out there, there's no friends at the table, you know. As he would have said himself many times. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just magical after that. Mm. So great celebration with, with your family and so on. But but of course your mother was too nervous to watch. Yeah, yeah. My mother has never, yeah. yeah. never actually watched saw me play live you know yeah, she left the house she got on a on one of the one of the sessions she got on a train to Waterford you know because she had a free pass she gets on the train to Waterford it, the train stops at Waterford which is about a two and a half hour train journey the cleaners get on and uh, she stays on the train helps them clean you know put the rubbish in the thing right she said I'm just staying on I'm just coming down for the, for the view and just coming back because she couldn't even be in, uh, in the area uh, where we live in case she'd bump into somebody, she, you know, she just had to get away. Uh, then she went on her bike for the final session because people were coming around to the house all the time, yeah. you know. And there was TV crews at the house, and my brothers and uh, sister were there, and all waiting to see what was going to happen. But she had to get out of the house; she couldn't handle it because she suffers from high blood pressure, you know. So she thought her head would blow off, like, you know? and uh, so she went off on her bike uh, down to Donnybrook. Uh, uh, church and was lighting candles for me then she got a puncture on her bike and she had to walk home with her bike but when she came back uh, I'd already won you know so she was over the mill but uh, the first thing I did when I did take it back to her you know handed it to her when I got off the plane and then uh, it took pride of place on our uh, television you know in, in the front room there and uh, people used to knock on the door come here and get a picture with it you know and she'd be cleaning it she used to have it so clean you know polishing it all the time uh, it was pristine, it was shining like I don't think it was ever that clean ever in the history of the world championship because <laughs> she was clean every day and uh, it was every time I used to come into the house I'd pick it up, give it a kiss and put it back on the television. It was fantastic. Brilliant. So you talked about you know you had the parade and the parties and everything, but then of course eventually the new season starts and, and being world champion carries with it great responsibility, doesn't it? And also yeah. a lot of demands on your time that maybe you didn't have before. So how did you sort of adjust to that? Yeah, I, I found it very difficult. Uh, and also, I think I found it more difficult, like sort of, uh, with the the pressure of sort of being world champion. You know, it was like, uh, and maybe it sort of uh, it took away from the game. And but then when I started off the season, I mean, I was still practicing. But when I started off the season, I got off to a bad start, and it just sort of snowballed from there. Because everyone's watching you as well. Now. Everybody's watching, watching you. Yeah, white, yeah, almost yeah. white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So it was a different kind of uh, pressure, but. To be honest, I, I didn't really mind because I was having, it was such a great time being the world champion, you know. Mm. And, uh, in a way, it probably it took my eye off the ball a little bit because uh, because of everything that came with it. Uh, but I thought, you know, I've got to get back down to brass tacks, you know. But, it was just having. It was just a wonderful time, you know. It just really was. And, uh, and, and, and you ne- nearly broke the curse because you mm. got to the final again. You know, it wasn't the first day exit or anything like that. You got no. to the final, and you know, coming against John Higgins, who, who got the win. But did you feel then actually I could, I could, you know, make history here? Oh yeah, absolutely. I didn't think so when I went to the when I went because there was a lot of pressure on, you know. And 
can't remember the, the run up to it, uh, but uh, I think I beat Mark Williams in the semi final. Uh, I think that was the only sort of real match that I remember. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a tough final as well. But it was like I was I was really disappointed afterwards. I was absolutely gutted. Like probably one of the times up to then that was probably the most disappointing result because the cup was gone. You know, I was 13-11 going into the final session. And uh, it should have been like close. He ended up winning, I think, 18 12, but it should have been like closer, you know. But he was blind that year. I mean, he made record amount of centuries that year at, at the Crucible. Uh, but it was still very close. And when it was gone, it was gone, you know. And yeah. I got back into the car. The difference, you know, when you come home as a runner up, and, you know, there's nobody there at the airport, you know, from, from thousands, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to get a taxi out. It's not even open top bus for you, you know. It's, uh, so it goes from one scale to the other, but uh, that was the difference of that, just that one match, you know. And uh, yeah, it was absolutely good, you know. But at least I proved to myself that I could, I could do it again, like you know. And I think the other World Championship, obviously, that people remember you for was 2003, where you had a series of unbelievably close matches and comebacks and so yeah, on, yeah. and just lost out in the end. Mark Williams. I mean, that was an incredible ride, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, ten nine in the first round against Morphy, thirteen twelve against Graham Dot in the second round. Uh, being ten nil up against John Higgins in the, in yes. the quarter, quarter finals. I mean, <laughs> and then it's ten people, seven. People, people say, ten, "What you were ten nil up yeah. against Higgins?" No, it was. Yeah, it was ten nil up against Higgins in the, in the uh, quarter finals, and then all of a sudden it's ten seven. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, to be, and then of course the Hunter game is probably yeah. the one that most people remember, of course, you know, for obvious reasons, uh, of that coming. Uh, and, uh, but you also came back in the final, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I came back in the final. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I came back against Hunter, and I came, like I was 10 2 down against Williams, came back to 12 all, and then lost 18 16. We were sort of, couldn't get ahead of him, you know. I think if I had a, got one frame ahead, it might have been a bit, just couldn't brief ahead of him, kept. He kept going one frame up, kept leveling, all right up into 16 all, and then, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that, well, I think that would have been, even, uh, what it, well, it would have been, without a doubt, more special than winning it the first time, you know, because of all those players that I played, all the last frame, uh, close encounters, and winning so many frames at the Crucible without actually winning the tournament, you know, it was, uh, a hard, uh, bitter pill to swallow, you know. But, you know, you are a world champion and we're coming up to the 40 years of the Crucible, there's going to be a lot of celebrations. And I guess, I was saying this to Stuart Bingham, even though obviously he's no longer world champion, he's in that club. He's going to be on the wall, his picture's yeah, there, yeah, he's yeah. on the Roll of Honour. You're there forever, aren't you? You must yeah, be very exactly proud yeah. of that. Yeah, I mean, when you go down the, you know, the corridors of the world champion, you see a picture there with the trophy and you're on the, the Roll of Honour. It, it is very special, you know. Uh, nobody can ever take that away from you. Uh, your name is engraved on that trophy, you know, and that trophy been gone since 1927 so to be part of that history uh, is very very special and it should embrace it you know and and uh, I certainly do and I'm very honoured to have won it and uh, yeah and lucky in a way like you know that I've had you know such a great time playing this game you know and the Crucible has been part of that for so many times I mean even getting back there after yeah. a little hiatus and not being around like yeah. I got down to kiss the carpet yeah. you know because that's what it felt like to me you know yeah. this was like uh, a place of uh, like a sanctity, you know, and, and nostalgia and history, 
and I just wanted to show my appreciation of, the, of all the good years that I had there, you know. So what about the future then? As we speak now, you're in a little bit of trouble on, on the tour, aren't you, in terms of your tour card. Is that a concern, or, or are you just generally looking to a future that maybe is not all about playing? Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to finish by, by falling off the tour, you know. Um, but if it does... If it does happen, it happens. Uh, it, like snooker, uh, I still love playing. I still like, I still like competing and stuff like that. But it's not, it's not my number one priority anymore, you know. And uh, I'm coming to the end of my career now, anyway. Um, but uh, you know, when I look back, it's been, it's been very good to me. But uh, it's not something that I want to go out like that by, by falling off. But. Uh, if it happens, it happens. And your son, has he ever watched your, your world final? Have you ever sort of put it on and said, by the way, this is what daddy was doing 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's more interested in watching Roger Federer play than, than YouTube clips of me, yeah. you know? But, uh, no, he does. He does. Uh, he likes to play snooker. He likes to come down and play with me sometimes down in the, down the Radisson. And uh, I brought him to Goffs for the Ireland uh, England legend uh, match, and he loved every bit of that. And uh, I don't know. He has the he has the hand-eye coordination, but he's he's more into tennis, and he much prefers watching Roger Federer than watching his father. That's for sure. But it's uh, it's good it's good for him, you know. I mean, he gets a little buzz out of it, you know. Even though he's so young, he's only nine, so uh, he gets a bit of attention. I think he's starting to like that, which is a bit worrying. <laughs> With more money in tennis, so that's nah, absolutely, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, Ken. Well, it's been great to chat to you about uh, twenty years on from your twenty years on. Great yeah. yeah, believe it. You oh. haven't changed a bit, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, we'll end it. <laughs> yeah, Thank yeah. you, Ken. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.